Live from Eden Prairie, Minnesota, this is Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Friends, welcome to Open Line. My name is Michael Rydelnik, and I am professor of Jewish Studies and Bible, as well as academic dean at Moody Bible Institute. I am being joined right here by a live, terrific audience, right here at Chosen People Ministries Finding Shalom Conference in a Troubled World at Wooddale Church in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Normally, I'd say, here's the phone number. Call me with your question about the Bible, God, or the spiritual life. But today I'm going to say, hold the phone. Don't call today. We've got a live audience. They are the ones asking the questions. And so keep listening, though, because they may ask the very questions that you want to have answered. You know, when uh, I was a freshman at Moody Bible Institute, we were required to read Balancing the Christian Life uh, by Dr. Charles Ryrie. It was the most biblical, wise approach to growing as a believer that I had ever encountered and have encountered since. It's a wonderful book. It had such an impact on my life that when I had to decide on seminary, I chose to go to the seminary where Dr. Ryrie taught because I wanted to study with him. I even got to get two classes with him before he retired, so I was pretty happy about that. Uh, but uh, I, I still think this book is excellent. I use it still with new believers, and also sometimes I meet believers who are advanced in years but sort of going off on some extreme, and I always say, listen, you need to read this book because it's so wise and balanced, and it's called Balancing the Christian Life, and that's our current resource. So if you are interested in getting a copy, it's yours. All you have to do is give a gift of any size to Open Line. We want to say thank you by sending you Balancing the Christian Life. Call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org, and you can give your gift there. Remember, ask for Balancing the Christian Life by Charles Ryrie. And joining me right now, before we get to questions, is someone I get to ask questions of. Her name is Robin. No last name. There she is. Robin, uh, and she is an... uh, Would we say we're old friends? I think we've known each other a long time. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. I'm old. She's uh, just known me for a long time. But we, we actually met when Robin was a college student, and I was leading a congregation in New York. So, Robin, uh, where do you live, and, and what do you do? I live in Tel Aviv, Israel, and I am uh, the branch leader for an amazing staff team of Chosen People Ministries in Israel. Yeah, yeah. And how did we meet? Um, we met... Because my mother, who was not a believer, called you and said, my daughter is in so much trouble. I'd like you to come and talk to her about Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So she, uh, Robin was a college student in Boston, came home for Thanksgiving, and I went to see her on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I just uh, Her mom had been attending our congregation but had not yet made, and I think, uh, we're still waiting for her to make a decision. Last couple of years, she did. Oh, she did. Oh, I yeah. didn't realize. Oh, that's great. So anyway, her mom uh, asked me to come talk with Robin. And afterwards, I went home. After I guess it was about two hours that we talked. Yeah, Probably a, a while, yeah. Yeah, it was a good while. Uh, I said, I have never, I said to my wife, I have never met a more hostile young person <laughs> ever in my whole life. She was the most hostile person I've ever engaged about faith and about the, the good news of Yeshua. And of course, 
what happened? <laughs> a member of your congregation, Tony, she was a good friend of my mother's in high school, and they had reconnected. That's how my mother came in contact with you. She would come over just about every day, and she would either say to me, the Bible says, or Michael says. <laughs> but whatever Michael said was in the Bible, too. <laughs> and uh, so she talked with you. You were, you were home? For a while? I was home because I was sick. Mm -hmm. I had become very sick when I was in school, and I had to move home. And every day she would tell me, come to church, we'll pray for you, and God will heal you. But also I want to talk to you about the Messiah. <laughs> How long did it take for, for her to get through to you? I, I think it was about nine or ten months of her almost every day coming over. She'd share a prophecy. I wouldn't let her share New Testament. She'd share a prophecy of the Messiah. I would get hostile with her. And she would just laugh and say, okay, you've had enough for today. Bye-bye. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. That does sound exactly like Tony. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So uh, I know what happened to me is I, th I think the first time I was leading a Passover Seder. And Tony brought you. Yeah. And, and I looked and I thought, is that the same girl? And she had never told me that she was going to see you or anything like that. And you had become a follower of Yeshua. Yeah, that was a funny Seder because you kept interrupting yourself every 10 or 15 minutes and saying, no, everyone, you don't understand. She can become a believer. Anyone can become a believer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. So, okay, so tell me about uh, what you're doing in Israel. What kind of outreach are you doing to reach Jewish people? Well, we are in Israel. The way we reach Jewish people is so diverse, um, but we're working a lot through ministry centers that are like community centers with a faith base. So we're able to create a space that believers can come and be discipled, but they can also, at music events or cultural events, invite their non-believing friends. And it creates a really safe bridge to openly dialogue about faith and who the Messiah is. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that uh, that's one of the best ways. Safe place, a cup of coffee, it's a great place to talk. But how do you meet Jewish people when you're not in Israel? Do you go other places? Oh, yes. Yeah. So all Israelis serve in the army, and then it's tradition to go travel the world. And they don't just go anywhere, but they generally go on specific waves. They follow a path. So I can tell you where to find 10,000 Israelis, a place in India eating hummus instead of tiki masala. And um, we go, we bring teams, and we backpack alongside them, building relationships, breaking bread together, sharing the gospel. But we also... Uh, Chosen People Ministries has hostels in some strategic places that the Israelis love to go, and it's free for three days to show God's love in a practical way. Hmm. And then uh, you have young people come with you and join these uh, treks that you take with them and meet, meet Israelis, right? Many of your students yeah, and exactly. even your own son. Yeah, yeah. Well, who was a student of mine. He had just graduated from Moody at the time. But also, we have students that leave Moody Bible Institute for their um, Jewish ministry internship, and they go off. I trust Robin with them. I don't know why, but I do. Uh, and they, they go off to places like New Zealand and uh, to South America and to India and all sorts of places where Jewish uh, Israelis, young Israelis, after the army, they're off trekking to find meaning, to find significance, and we hope to find Yeshua. 
Right. And three of your students this summer are coming to our team in Israel mm -hmm. to serve alongside all our staff there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, students that will say to me, is this a good internship? Well, Robin's a problem, but you could go. <laughs> no, I, I tell them all. Uh, Robin is uh, an honorary Moody grad is what it is. We, she really is not a Moody grad, but she has come so often for our fall missions conference, which is becoming a winter missions conference next year. Uh, but she has come so many times to our missions conference uh, and comes when she's in Chicago and meets with our students and encourages them that uh, last year at the 100th anniversary celebration for Jewish studies, we made you an honorary graduate of Moody. So there we go. No, now we have. I love that. Now we have to get you that honorary doctorate, so <laughs> we can call you Doctor Robin. So there we go. Uh, I don't know if that'll happen, but we'll try. So <laughs> anyway, I am. Uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for the ministry that Robin has with Chosen People Ministries. We're going to take a couple questions here, but thank you, Robin. Hi, my name is Mike. I'm from Austin, Minnesota, and I appreciate getting your perspective on the relationship between Israel and the church. Uh, well. Uh, God uh, founded the beginning. The beginnings of Israel is the call of Abraham, mm -hmm. Isaac, Jacob, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, then Israel, of course, continues to exist. However, it's fairly clear that by the first century, the church did not yet exist because the Lord Jesus, when uh, after Peter gives his great confession, mm -hmm. the Lord Jesus responds. In Matthew 16, I will build my church, which means that the church is not there yet, hadn't been built. Uh, another aspect is, uh, of course, when does the church begin? It seems to begin at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls and everyone's speaking those other languages. Do you remember that story in Acts 2? And what I think is really kind of interesting about that is later on, Peter has to go preach to Cornelius. And uh, when he speaks to Cornelius, uh, while he's speaking, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and those listening, they all believe. And then Peter, you know, decides, well, we, I guess we don't have to convert them to Judaism before they believe in Jesus. Yeah. Everything's good. But he has to go and report this uh, to the leadership. And uh, he tells the story of what happened in Acts 11 and he says, as I began to speak, this is 11.15, uh, Acts 11.15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as on us at the beginning. Yeah. The beginning of what? Yeah. The beginning of the church. So uh, there's Israel, there's the church. Israel are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The church is anyone, Jew or Gentile, who have put their faith in Jesus. And the place where uh, they overlap. Uh, if, if you can see two circles overlapping each other, uh, uh, one circle would be Israel. The other circle would be the church. But where they, the, I guess you would call that concentric, uh, where they reach over, the Jewish, where Israel reaches over into the church is the Jewish believer. And at the same time, the Jewish believer is the faithful remnant of Israel. So that's, that's the, uh, the, the overlap of it. But there is a distinct plan that God has for the church. Yeah. Uh, I believe it will be complete when the Lord Jesus raptures the church. Then there's a seven-year uh, plan that God has to bring Israel 
to repentance, and then Israel will come to faith, and God has a special plan for Israel when he returns and establishes the kingdom over them and the world. That's great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, uh, we're going to have time for more questions. This is Open Line with Michael Rydelic. My guest this segment was Robin from Israel. So glad that you're here, Robin. And we're going to come right back with more of your questions in just a moment. You're listening to the Finding Shalom Conference on Open Line right here in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Stay right there. We're coming back. Open line. My name is Michael Rydelnik. We are here with a live audience at the Finding Shalom conference that Chosen People Ministries is sponsoring here, uh, along with Wooddale Church in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. We've got a live audience, and we're going to talk with that live audience right now. They're asking the questions, so go ahead with yours. Hello, I'm Gwen. I'm originally from Richfield Springs, New York. Oh, really? Uh, recent transplant to Aberdeen, South Dakota. Wow. With my husband and three teens. <laughs> New York to South Dakota. That's a, that's a cultural change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a bit. So this is my question. Um, in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 7 through 8, it says, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So my question is, as a Gentile believer and having only been celebrating the feast of the Lord with my husband and children for the past eight years, I wonder how this verse is overlooked and why the church in general treats those who do observe the feasts as oddities in the church. Well, I, I think that there's a, a very long tradition of anything Jewish having uh, a negative perspective in the church. Uh, we're, not, we're not talking something recent. We're talking thousands, 2,000 years now. Very early on, by the time you get to the second century, you can see there's a hostility, a growing hostility to anything, any Jewish practice, anything that has Jewish roots in the church. Uh, by the time you, you get to the fourth century, the resurrection day was changed in terms of what day resurrection. But previously, the church always celebrated the resurrection as part of Passover. In fact, the old word for Easter is Pasqua in Italy and places like that, Passover. Uh, Constantine the Great, uh, when he called the Nicene Council, the Council of Nicaea, uh, he was there and he called for the change of celebration of Passover to, uh, of, the Lord, of resurrection from Passover to a more of a pagan date. And he did that to... Uh, remove the church from the odious company of the Jews is what the, the documents say. So there was a, a growing anti-Semitism in the church and a disregard for the older brother, uh, a, a disdain for the Jewish roots of the faith. Uh, people misunderstood that uh, there was, you know, what, what in the New Testament there's this issue should Gentiles be converted to Judaism, men circumcised, mm -hmm. before they could believe in Jesus? Obviously, that wasn't right. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but really the great proponents of that were more of the Gentiles who, ultimately it was Gentiles who went ahead and did that, and they then pushed that. So you would think that it it would have been a recognized thing that it was not Jewish believers pushing that idea because Paul, James, they were the ones that said, no, you don't have to. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it was Gentiles who had gone through with that circumcision that were the great advocates. That's why in, in the book of Revelation it calls these Gentiles uh, who say they are Jews, but they are not. So, uh, and they're not because they're, they're Gentiles who have adopted this. Uh, so the point is, I think there's a long history of that. Uh, one of the things I will tell you is that there is a growing appreciation for the Jewish uh, people and uh, for festivals like Passover. I can't tell you how many churches I've gone to to explain the Passover. I think that the feast that Paul is talking about may not necessarily be Passover. He may be talking about the Lord's Supper here in, and and more broadly speaking about our walk with the Lord, the you know, celebrate the feast and we get rid of the, the leaven of malice and wickedness. But it could be just the, the Lord's Supper celebration that he was talking about there in Corinth because they were abusing it. We know that from 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, and he tells them they, they have to uh, uh, really present themselves to the Lord first and take the Lord's Supper worthily. So that may be what he's talking about. But it does seem to me that it's really important that we recognize that the Lord's Supper, communion, draws right out of Passover. Uh, so I agree with you that there's some pushback because there are other people trying to say, hey, you need to do this. Mm-hmm. And of course, that gets everyone, no one's saying you need to do it. But if, if you find keeping Passover uh, an enjoyable and meaningful and uh, significant aspect of your walk, as long as you're not imposing it on others, have at it, enjoy Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Good morning. My name is Sheila. I'm from Bismarck, North Dakota. And I have a question in regards to our conversations with those um, who are Holocaust survivors. Mm -hmm. What can you say to a Holocaust survivor to show them that those who persecuted them weren't after the heart of Yeshua? They weren't following what the Lord would want them. To do, yeah. Well, let me just say, there's a lot in that question. Uh, my dad and mom, both Holocaust survivors. Uh, my dad thought that every SS guard that he knew in concentration camp, uh, every German that he met was, you know, after the war, uh, was a Christian. And so he equated Nazism and murder. They actually, the Nazis actually murdered his first wife, five children, his parents, his siblings, uh, uh, his grandparents. Uh, and that was done, in his mind, by followers of Jesus. Uh, so it's very hard to break that view. And uh, rightly so, uh, because... Uh, the Nazis, who were certainly not Christian, uh, they were not reflecting the heart of Yeshua at all, uh, but they used the history of German anti-Semitism in the church, going back to Martin Luther and even earlier, the whole history of, of, 
of Christian anti-Semitism, and they preyed upon that and basically said, look, we're just agreeing with what the church has always said. And so in this way, though they, I think they would have gone after the church ultimately had they not failed. Uh, if you look at uh, Alfred Rosenberg, who was the chief theoretician, theoretician of Nazism, it was anti-Christian, it was anti-church. They wanted to remake the church, take the Bible out, put, the, put Mein Kampf in, take out the hymns, put in Nazi songs. Uh, they wanted to celebrate their new savior, Adolf Hitler, and that's what they wanted the church to do. It was going to be terrible. They were going to destroy the church, which is why Bonhoeffer, Niemöller, others stood against Nazism. However, uh, they, they preyed upon the history of Christian anti-Semitism, used it as a means of gathering in Christians to participate in and support what the Nazis were doing. Uh, so how do you deal with that? I think what you have to do is expose people to the true Yeshua, not the image of Yeshua from, and it's hard to do, but expose them uh, I, to the true Yeshua as in the Gospels. I remember many years ago, I was talking with a Jewish woman in a nursing home, and she was, no, no, no. And she wasn't a survivor, but she was really hostile because of the history. And I, I read to her the very first verse of the New Testament in Yiddish, in the, in the language, her first language. And I got out my Yiddish New Testament and I read her this uh, verse where it says, this is the generations of Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And uh, she looked at me and she said, you mean he's Jewish? And that's when I got to talk with her. He's not the image that you have heard about. He's, this is the true Yeshua, uh, the King of Israel. Uh, who loves his people. And that's the thing I would do is I would get them, uh, if I could, try and point them back to the true Yeshua in the New, New Testament. Okay. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. My name is Nancy from Bonita Springs, Florida. In John 20, verse 7, what is the significance of the napkin that was wrapped together in a place by itself? Okay, you've heard about this, huh? On the internet or someplace? <laughs> Sermons? Have you heard Once. It? Once, okay. And I want to hear it from you. Okay. <laughs> uh, what's been flying around the internet for a number of years is this idea that it says that in, in Jewish culture, if you fold your napkin and you're eating, you fold a napkin and then it means... You're done eating. But if you don't fold it, if it's all messed up, uh, I'm sorry, when you fold it, you're done and you're coming back. Uh, and so that was the significance of the folded napkin. That is one of the most ludicrous things I have ever heard. <laughs> because we're not talking about a meal here. It's a face cloth for a dead body. It's not... The, the King James uses the word napkin. Uh, my version, which is a modern version, says the wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a separate place. It has nothing to do with food. There is no Jewish cultural background as such that says that the folded napkin means that you want more uh, or don't want more or that you're coming back or whatever it is that they said. It is n no, no, no. It is unrelated. And unfortunately, 
the internet can promote good things, but it also promotes lots of stupid ideas. And the thing is, don't trust it. Check it out. Uh, the significance of that linen napkin is that there were no grave robbers. Grave robbers. Robbers. If you go in and someone has stolen the body, you're not going to find the face cloth folded up neatly, right? right. You'll find everything jumbled aside. I, I had my house broken into uh, a, f- a few years ago when I was in Israel. I came in. The drawers were open. Clothing was all out on the floors. It was, it's all jumbled up because they're looking, right? If a, you have a grave robber uh, <laughs> come in, what are they doing? They're pulling everything. They're taking the body out. Uh, it wouldn't be folded up. So it's saying something different happened. This wasn't grave robbers. And it's, it, then, of course, they see the Lord Jesus. They know he's resurrected. So Great. That's, Thank you so that, much. That's the significance. So everyone, just let me just assure you, there's a lot of junk on the Internet. And I, I have to say, I've, I've, I'm not going to give you other examples of it. But what, uh, unfortunately, sometimes people will let that get into their Bible studies or sermons. And then it gets into a, you know, to the people. So just let's be cautious when we use alleged Jewish backgrounds. I always say, where, where'd you get that background? Sometimes they'll even, I heard one preacher use a background about Jewish people uh, giving their kids candy or sweets as they learn the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, as they learn how to read. Because you're supposed to learn that the, learning the Torah is sweet. Yeah. That's a great Jewish background from the 17th century. (laughs) Has nothing to do with the New Testament or how Yeshua was raised. We're going to come back with more of your excellent questions. Stay right there. You're listening to Open Line with Michael Rydell. My name is Michael Reichelnik. I'm so glad to be here with this live audience in Eden Prairie. I know everyone's been listening for two hours saying, where is Eden Prairie? It's just outside of Minneapolis. So in case you were wondering, we're not out in the, in the wilderness on the prairie. <laughs> we're outside of uh, a, a suburb. We're in a suburb of a big city, right? Yep. yep. Uh, Dale Hummel is going to be with me in just a moment. Uh, this church, Wooddale Church, has a great history. Uh, of partnering with lots of ministries, and they are partnering, Wooddale Church is partnering with Chosen People Ministries in putting on this conference, Finding Peace in a Troubled World, and I'm really grateful for partnerships. I recognize that partnerships are vital to Open Line. We have kitchen table partners. Uh, Kitchen table partners are people who commit to give monthly so I can be on the air weekly answering people's questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. And kitchen table partners, uh, I'm so grateful for everyone that listens. I'm so grateful for everyone that even gives a gift occasionally. But I am especially grateful for kitchen table partners because they are the ones that really help us the most. And the way I say thank you is I send every other week a audio Bible study to people who become kitchen table partners. So it's just a few minutes. You get in your email, you click on it. It's designed exclusively for our kitchen table partners. If you'd like to consider, maybe you'd like to become a kitchen table partner, all you have to do is call 
844-644-7122. Or perhaps you can go online to openlineradio.org. That's another way you can become a Kitchen Table Partner. Whatever you do, we're really grateful for it. And now joining me is Pastor Dale Hummel of this wonderful church, uh, Wooddale Church. You have a great heritage here. I'm really glad you're here with me. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. It's yeah. good to be with you. Yeah. Now, uh, we just, I just found out uh, you were formerly, for many years, a pastor in the Chicago area at a church, Compass yeah. Church. Yeah, for 12 I've years. A, I've done quite a bit of preaching there, oh, yeah, but only after you were gone. But what was going on before? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Uh, <laughs> God was good. We, had, uh, we just saw God do great things there, reaching people as I like to say here, near and far. And uh, then the opportunity came uh, to join Wooddale and, and it's been a great uh, ride for 10 years so far. Yeah. I remember when you came here, people were like lamenting. I was at, I was visiting the church uh-huh, okay. to speak and they were, they were like, oh, our pastor, we love him. And he went away. But they, they, they sensed, I want to, I want you to know, they all sensed God's leading in your life. They felt it was the right yeah. move, but they were yeah. heartbroken. Yeah. So, anyway, so that's, that's a good thing. It way. is a good thing. Thanks. Yeah. Anyway, and God's done great things here. I, yeah. I, 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 I just have to ask you, why would you host a conference with Chosen People Ministries. I mean, what is it that, I mean, that's not typical for most churches. Yeah, so. part, you know, part of it's kind of personal for me, Michael. My, um, my dad, who I just actually buried uh, April 10th, he passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, and he grew up in the Netherlands. And uh, he, during the war, he was a, a boy and um, his family hid Jews. Hmm. Um, and my dad has clear memory of being uh, taken outside by the Nazis. He is mom and dad and then his four siblings and being lined up while they searched the home. Fortunately, in the two times that that happened, there were no Jews being hmm. hidden in the home. And so dad would tell me that story over and over again, uh, especially as he got older, uh, kind of remembering those things. And that always resonated with my heart and, you know, wondering why that happened. Um, he had uh, uh, two uncles, they were brothers, and uh, one of them uh, was killed by the SS. He was an underground spy, mm. and he was very close to my dad. My dad was close to him, and uh, that was a painful memory for my dad. What's interesting is that the same man, his brother, uh, went the opposite direction and uh, went in with the Nazis. Wow. And uh, so I always thought that would be a great historical novel, how you have two brothers, you know, one who works on the resistance and the other, um, you know, is pro-Nazi. Mm-hmm. And um, so that resonated a lot with me. And then when I went to seminary, actually, I uh, had a professor who wrote a book called Legacy of Hatred. Oh, by David Rausch. Yes, David Rausch, yeah. Why Christians Need Published to... by Moody. Yep. Yeah. Like Christians need to remember the Holocaust. And that book uh, deeply affected me. And I thought to myself, you know, given my history for my family and what I learned in that course, uh, it's something we have to keep in front of us. And, um, you know, I, I, I look at the Jewish people and I think, you know, they brought us the Messiah. God used them to bring the Messiah. They preserved the word of God. And um, they're like family, mm-hmm. right? And so what can I do? Uh, to minister back and to encourage and to bring the hope of the gospel to them. So uh, Mitch and Chosen People has just been a great avenue for us to begin to partner with and, and make right. sure that that is a balance for our ministry. You know, that's the history of this church, I, I, at least in my yeah. experience. I, uh, when I became a professor at Moody back in the dark ages, uh, actually it wasn't that long ago, it was Lincoln was president then. But anyway, <laughs> when I became a, actually when I became a professor... Uh, 
uh, Leith Anderson was a pastor yes. here, and yeah. he contacted me about maybe if I could recommend someone that had some experience in Jewish ministry That's and great. knowledge uh, because the church was hoping to actually maybe put someone on staff. And so yeah. I, I just, I thought that was a remarkable thing that for a church. That was a rare experience that I've had that a church would even consider using a staff position. Yeah. To reach Whitdale's always been very kingdom oriented. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes those, those dreams get laid out and then later on they come to fruition. And so I mm-hmm. feel like that's beginning to happen now for yeah. us. That's wonderful. I'm really, really, really grateful for it. Thanks. Now, what kind of community is it? Are, are there many Jewish people here in Eden Prairie? Uh, not a lot, uh, more in St. Louis Park, uh-huh. uh, but within our congregation, we have we have several folks um, who have come to faith, you know, mm-hmm. in times past and have kind of, I think, surfaced the whole conviction of, okay, what are we going to do for the Jewish community around us? And um, I, I met, I remember a couple of years ago, I went to Mayo for a physical and my physician happened to be um, a, a Jewish doctor. And uh, we got into quite an interesting conversation as yeah. he wanted to know why I was a pastor and what I actually believed. And I wasn't sure it was going really well, except at the very end, he walked into the waiting room and he said, could you come back here for a moment? Uh-huh. So I went back there. He took me into his office and, and he just began to share his heart about his family wow. and his ministry. And what opened the door was really me telling him the story of my dad, what happened in Holland. But then, but then hearing from me that, you know, I wanted to learn as much from him mm-hmm. as to share with him. And yeah. so that, that began kind of a unique conversation. That's so great. By the way, all evangelism, the very first step is not learning what to say. Right. But how to listen. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's so, so valuable. Uh, that's, that's just fantastic. I, I truly, truly appreciate your heart for Jewish people. Thanks. I have some interesting, uh, what's interesting to me about Holland. Yeah. Uh, or the Netherlands. The, the most, uh, in, in Western and Central Europe, the most Jewish people who perished in the Holocaust were from Holland. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, the highest percentage of the Jewish community of any country were from Holland. And I think, unfortunately, that happened, sadly, horribly. But most believers think that all the Dutch were looking to protect Jewish people. Right. Uh, because of the story of Corrie Ten Boom. Right. But uh, your, your dad's family... Yeah. Yeah, uh, they they were unique. Yeah, uh, they they were not normative. And, right, and most of the Dutch did not uh, act like Corey Ten Boom or your family. Right. right, and and so I'm especially grateful. For, you know, to stand against the tide. Right, is such a special trait. I think uh, it's a great reminder about when when it comes to doing what is right. Uh, no matter how the culture is going, no matter how much pressure there is, standing protecting the innocent, caring for those who are being oppressed, that that's just a tremendous heritage you right. have. Yeah, uh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it's, it's, it's even more remarkable when we realize everyone in Holland was not doing that. Right. You know, that's yeah, and that's that, a really good point you brought out. Yeah, yeah I, it's a really exceptional family. Yeah. That's great. And I'm sorry about the, was it your uncle, great uncle, that, uh, that, that joined with the Nazis? Is that who it was? Yeah. yeah. You know, he ended up um, afterwards, it's an interesting story. He ended up, um, because, because it was just the two boys and yeah. one had been killed by the SS, um, instead of hanging him, they gave him a prison term. And um, what's really interesting, Michael, is, is that years later he was released from prison and uh, he had repented for what mm. he had done, and he spent the rest of his life taking care of a paraplegic. Wow. And he saw that as kind of his 
uh, way of giving something back for what he had done. So there, there was some restitution at the end. Yeah, yeah that's great that he repented. I think that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, my mom, uh, who survived the Holocaust, people would say to her, uh, how is it that you don't... She was not bitter. Right. And uh, she became a follower of Yeshua, and she forgave. People would say to her, how did you forgive? And she'd say, they're never going to have to stand before me. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's true. She, she recognized they needed the, their repentance had to come before God. Yeah. And so, anyway, yeah. thank you so thank much. You. Thank Appreciate you. Thank you for it. sponsoring this conference. Yeah. And for having we love chosen people. And, yeah. uh, and, and you love Moody Radio. Uh, right, absolutely. I hope more churches will get involved. Great. Thank you. We're going to take a break here. Thank you so much, Pastor Dale. That's Dale Hummel from Wooddale Church in Eden Prairie, right outside of Minneapolis. That's it. We're going to come right back with more of your questions in just a moment. You're listening to Open Line. Don't go away. And we are at Wooddale Church at the Chosen People Ministries Finding Peace in a Troubled World Conference. Uh, I am so grateful to have this live audience. We haven't taken any phone calls today, but we've had great questions. Hopefully someone has asked your question. Before we take the next few questions, uh, I want to answer a question this way. There's a most, one of the most frequent questions I get from listeners on Open Line is how should we think about the Jewish people? What does it mean that the Jewish people are God's chosen people? Uh, does God have a plan for the Israel in the future? What's the role of the state of Israel today? There are all these questions about Jewish people. Like, I'm supposed to know the answer? Well, I try my best. But the, the, the truth of it is Chosen People Ministries, one of our underwriters, is providing a book, a free book called Israel, the Jewish People, and Jesus that answers all those questions. So if you'd like a copy of Israel, the Jewish people, and Jesus, just go to our website. That's openlineradio.org. When you go there, click on the link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. You have to scroll down to the bottom of the page. You'll see the link, a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, and we'll send you a copy, or Chosen People will send you a copy of Israel, the Jewish people, and Jesus. Okay, it's the lightning round. Let's see how many questions I can answer. Hi, I'm Mary Jane from Austin, Minnesota. Would you... Oh, oh, I love that. Austin, Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> um, will, will you talk about replacement theology and just how far back in history does that ideology or doctrine go? Okay, the very first person to articulate uh, uh, replacement theology that God has rejected the Jewish people because of their rejection of Jesus right. and replaced Israel with the church was Justin Martyr, early second century. Wow. However, there seemed to be an incipient replacement theology that in Rome okay. that Paul's dealing with. People say, well, where can you find replacement theology in the New Testament? You can find it in Romans 9 yeah. through 11 because Paul is re rebuking it. Right. And uh, the key verse to understand that is Romans eleven twenty-eight and 29. In that uh, passage, uh, Paul says this, you hear the pages turning. Uh, it says, oh, I'm looking at Acts. No wonder why I can't find it. I got to learn these books of the Bible. 
Okay, Romans 11, 28 and 29. What Paul says about the Jewish people is that they are enemies of the gospel. Not enemies of God, but enemies of the good news. They're opposed to the good news. And so he's obviously talking about people, Jewish people who don't believe. Regarding the gospel, they are enemies, but it's for your advantage. It's for the advantage of Gentiles. That's why the gospel has gone out to the Gentiles. But then he says, regarding election, that means chosenness. Regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs. God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His love is unconditional. He will always love the Jewish people. He doesn't say they'll, he'll love them again. No, they are loved, even in their status as being people who don't believe, since God's gracious gifts are irre- and calling are irrevocable. All the gifts that are described in Romans 9, 4 are still, still belong to the Jewish people, never been replaced. So Thank there you. you go. Thank you. Hi, I'm Lori, and I live in Minnetonka, Minnesota, and I just want to welcome you here. Thank Thank you you for coming. Um, My original question had to do with a uh, Jewish neighbor that was reaching out to me, and we've started to dialogue, but I think you've already addressed my question Mm -hmm. there, so if I may, I'm going to pose a question about the remnant. Um, Will that be um, a part of the, uh, will Jews and Gentiles be a part of the remnant? And does that, does it have any tie-in to the predestination? Okay. Well, the remnant today is Jewish people who believe in Jesus. If you look at Romans 11, 1 through 5, uh, he says, has God rejected his people whom he foreknew? Absolutely not. May it never be. No, 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 no. And then he says, look, God is always the proof that God has not rejected the Jewish people is he has preserved a remnant. He says, look, God has always worked through a remnant. There was a remnant in the days of Elijah who were faithful, 7,000 who didn't bow the knee to Baal. Uh, and he says in verse 5, in the same way then, there is also at the present time, right now, a remnant chosen by grace. And so there's a remnant of Jewish people today who believe in Jesus. And that's the proof that it was sort of like the down payment. And one day, later on in the chapter, he talks about the day when the rest of the nation will believe all Israel will be saved. And not all Israel of all time, but all those alive who trust in the Lord at his return. So the remnant, I believe, when we talk about the remnant, it's the remnant of Jewish people who are the faithful remnant of Israel. That's in the end belief. Thank you. And does that have any tie-in to predestination? Well, obviously, they're chosen by grace. Chosen. Okay. The election. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so twice chosen. Chosen as the Jewish people and then chosen by grace to believe. I think that's, that's really clear. Uh, people say, well, how can God choose who's going to believe and still call on people to be responsible to believe? Uh, that's, that's above my pay grade. I, God alone knows the answer to that question. I believe that mystery is true, but it's a mystery. I don't understand. And, and you know what? Any theologian that can explain it, they're a lot smarter than I am. So I, I trust them. So, Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Carl Johnson from St. Louis Park, Minnesota. And this is a little bit different kind of question, but with this being the 75th anniversary of the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, what impact would you say as a Bible scholar the scrolls have had on our understanding of the scriptures and also Second Temple Judaism? I think one of the things that the Dead Sea Scrolls has done is confirmed for Second Temple Judaism that they, they, it, was, uh, it was not uniform. It was, uh, it, it was Judaisms, uh, that it was 
that there were different kinds of Judaism. We know Sadducean, Pharisaic. Uh, there was monastic Judaism out in the wilderness, the Qumran community, Essene Judaism. Uh, and they all had their favorite version of the Bible, uh, of which uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls reflect all the different versions. We have different copies, uh, different versions reflected, or families of texts. But the main text is what we call the Proto-Masoretic or what later becomes the Masoretic text. So what the first thing that uh, it has done for us, it has helped us with textual criticism. We could look at the variant readings and see how, how the texts developed in the different families and decide which was the best earliest texts of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, so that we, it helps with that. Like, for example, in Isaiah 53, where it says, he shall see and be glad, in I think verse 12, uh, in the Dead Sea Scroll, it says, he shall see the light of life and be glad. Mm. And so it, it has an implication for the resurrection. And I think most versions will take that as the original text. On the second uh, score, uh, it has shown, we have the full scroll of Isaiah from the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's 99.9% the same as the next earliest text that we have 1,200 years later. So it's confirmed the accuracy of the transmission of the text. Great. Thank you. Okay. One minute. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, my name is Sam, uh, Samuel Adesiji uh, from Ramsey, Minnesota. My question is a short one. Uh, the uh, Revelation 14, mm -hmm. the 144,000 that were redeemed from the earth, mm -hmm. who are they? Uh, your neighbors. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's refer in Revelation 7, it says that there are 12,000 from each tribe, uh, making 144,000 servants who are sealed and protected by God. Uh, and so there are 144,000 Jewish people in the tribulation. God knows their tribes. I don't. Uh, and he, he preserves them. It doesn't say how they serve God in Revelation 7. It just doesn't say it. However... In the next paragraph, it talks about men from every tribe, people from every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping. So the implication by context is what they are doing is they're proclaiming the gospel in the tribulation so that many, many people will believe. And God's going to use 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams to proclaim the gospel in the tribulation period. That's something that's good, don't you think? Thanks for your question. And that's the program for the week. We're done. Thank you so much for all your questions right here. Appreciate that. Thanks to Wooddale Church, Chosen People Ministries, for hosting this live audience. Grateful for today's open line team, Trisha McMillan, Joel Swan, Courtney Young. All their expertise made this happen. Remember, keep in touch with Open Line during the week by going to our website, openlineradio.org. That page has everything you're looking for. Keep reading the Bible. We'll talk about it next week. Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.